0: Hello and welcome to the Todd and Taylor Show, another episode of Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. It's Taylor Trask. Good morning, Taylor. Good morning, Todd.
1: <laughs> this, so, is, <laughs> this is turning into click and clack, the car talk. Like, I worry that at some point we're just going to be the, the car talk guys from NPR. We're just like, and Todd, I can't believe it's another beautiful morning here at <laughs>
0: like, Hey, if we get those big in pr dollars
1: <laughs> yeah. well apparently apparently the click and clack guys, like i think they film and or they tape in boston and they're like studio is really well known it's like that's where they do it like it's become it's it's kind of like boston's you know prairie home companion it's like that's where that happens we should all respect and and <laughs> behold the more click and clack is recorded i don't think they record there anymore i think the show is over but when it was happening it was there right and, anywho
0: um it's
1: neither here nor there
0: we are recording from our respective homes in uh, california and colorado that's right uh, uh we are legitimately recording this in the morning when we would be drinking coffee what coffee are you drinking today taylor
1: well todd this morning i'm drinking a, a small latte from the fine folks at dunkin donuts uh, <laughs> <laughs> after last after last week's sort of like you know very very indie pick. I figured I would um, – because and both my pick in terms of my comic or my graphic novel last week and my coffee were very, you know, very indie and sophisticated. I feel that my picks this week are a little a little more mainstream, so I wanted a little bit more of a mainstream drink to accompany that. How about you?
0: I love it. Well, After last week in my uh, very um, Philistine pick of Starbucks, I went out and bought myself some ground coffee. I thought Ooh. I'm going to wake up this morning. I'm going to go through that process of uh, making iced coffee myself. Um, as you know, I don't drink hot coffee. Uh, that's the devil's temperature. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I bought a great house blend from Pete's. Uh, went looked at the Italian roast, but decided on this one. Um, and then about 1115 last night, realized I didn't have any milk. So this morning I woke up and I drove to Starbucks and got an iced coffee. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Could have walked. You know, to the store and gotten some milk, but I was like, ugh, I gotta come back and make this stuff.
1: See, exactly. There's that thing that happens where you're like, oh man. And I have actually full confession, I have actually gone to the grocery store. Um, you know, when I was out of milk or cream or what have you, gone to the grocery store and instead of buying the milk, I went to the Starbucks in the grocery store right. to just buy a latte and go, I'll deal with this later. Cause by that point, you're like, ugh. I just need I just need the caffeine now. I can't I can't mess. Yeah, with for
0: this. sure. Or you do that where you buy the coffee in the store. Like this is today's, but I'm also going to get the milk and the grounds for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'll do it yeah. myself tomorrow. But today, oh, I got to have the infusion of caffeine. That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, should we jump into these books?
1: Let's do, because last week um had a lot of fun talking about Pyongyang, and what was your pick, Todd?
0: Rocket Girl.
1: Rocket Girl. And uh, this week, well, and we're going to keep with the tradition that we're not going to tell each other the choices ahead right. of time. So both Todd and I are coming into this completely blind, which is going to be fun, where you know, I will be just as uh, sh- uh, sort of surprised by the choice as you, dear listener, and, uh, and likewise. So let's, let's start with you, though, this time. Um, what have you for us this week?
0: well uh not too far off the beaten path that we like to tread which is image comics um i'm talking about paper girls volume Three.
1: Oh, there we go we referenced paper girls in your review of rocket girl last week so we i was did. sooner or later this would come up
0: yeah and uh actually so um uh, yeah it's that was what inspired it really was i, I thought yeah let's let's jump into another comic that talks about um the 80s and like takes place in the 80s um that i on listening back to our podcast really enjoyed our conversation about like why are all these people revisiting the 80s and um you know what's significant about that and i i I, there were a couple things that came up where i thought oh this is just going to tie in perfectly with paper girls um we talked about it with uh, rocket girl where a a time-traveling teenage cop goes back from 2013 to 1986 and you ask very good questions about like you know did it have to be in the 80s in that specific year um and there's a point that we were both kind of dancing around and you brought up uh, the movie adventureland uh and it may it, you know in reading paper girls volume three this week it really it, you know, made the point to me that there are a lot of this 80s Revisitation is just because that's when the artists and creators grew up and that's mm-hmm. you know They're just going to set a story about childhood in the decade in which they were children um, And we we also talked about stranger things and and <clears throat> I was saying that stranger things to me is almost like we're they're going to tell a weird sci-fi story But set it so perfectly Within the 80s and mm-hmm. the way I kind of distinguished Adventureland and stranger things <laughs> Correct me if, if I'm wrong or, or at least tell me your opinion on this because I'd love to hear it is I think sometimes uh, we revisit a decade in art in order to tell a story that's sort of unique to that time period. Mm-hmm. And like we're telling a story about that time period. And then sometimes it really is just sort of the set dressing, you mm-hmm. know? And one of the great takeaways I had from Mad Men was although they do tell a lot of micro stories about the sixties, the overall overall, you know, story of Mad Men was, I related to so much stuff from Mad Men just from my work in, you know, digital agencies and stuff. Yeah. I went, oh my God, this is like timeless wisdom. Um, so to me, the 60s was really just the setting of that show to tell human stories and business stories that are relatable over any decade. And, yeah. and that's kind of how I see Stranger Things is like, this is a sci-fi story that legitimately could have taken place in any decade. And they said it in the 80s And they really perfected that, you know, that look of the 80s and that, um, you know, uh, every all the details about the 80s were in there, which just drew you into the universe even more. But it wasn't really a story about the 80s. Obviously, it was sci-fi, whereas Adventureland, I think, might actually just be a story about the 80s. Mm. And so they kind of tried to nail the 80s for that reason.
1: It's interesting because I would actually flip it. Um, oh. I think Adventureland is more a story that's kind of universal. Now, yeah, the platform to tell that story, the amusement park, 1987, all of that is is good window dressing. But I feel like that story is a good relationship story that could have occurred just as easily in 2012. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be 87. Whereas with Stranger Things, I feel like Stranger Things is almost like a, a, a an a tour film or something from the 70s where <laughs> Yeah, you you could separate that story from the time period, but so much of that time period is necessary for that story. The kids have to be out on bikes. There has to be sort of a spooky kind of quality to it. You can't just call somebody on their cell phone immediately. You know, you can't – people can't be as available. Um, You know, like there's not drones flying through the sky trying to find a missing kid or something. Um, You know, and and even like – the cliches of like Barb being you know, like the, the characters that that we see, especially on the on the older kids, like they all fit a certain stereotype that is very much of a product of that time. So yeah, it's it's homaging that time, but it also has to exist there for the story to be anywhere as as good or as cogent as we find it. Um,
0: great, great points. So, one, well, well, I, I think one I've side. overthought the evidence to try to cram it into my uh position
1: (laughs) but there's one there's you can almost take it one step further i finally coincidentally last night watched start to finish the black mirror episode san junipero which is uh had just won the emmy for like best tv movie um Mm. and it is very much it's one of those black mirror episodes that i had kind of skipped over because the way it starts is a little slow and muddy and i just was kind of like i don't really need this i sat down i watched it start to finish. It is probably the best black mirror episode that has ever existed it is i'm so glad i stuck with it because it goes in some pretty interesting directions but again the sort of the platform of the 1980s is so essential yeah yeah it's a love story but you need the iconography, you need the music. That soundtrack is key to that story being told the way it has. There's a there's, there's a certain nostalgia that they bake in. There are you know, a lot of like beach, you know, beach at night scenes that are very reminiscent of the 80s. And like so much of that, that flow has to happen then. And then there's a kind of a contemporary modern day uh, B story that that goes alongside it, that you need the 80s, the retroness and sort of the, the nature mm. of it to, to juxtapose against the kind of the current. Um, the, the characters in their current situation so that straight up if you haven't seen that sandrine Perro episode and you've, or you've been holding off go see it i was i was resistant to it i'm so glad i i, I jumped in but i wonder
0: though i, so I will to, check it out
1: but to take this back to paper girls do you feel that paper girls could have been easily been a story from 1996 like or the the 50s if they decided to make it then mm-hmm. would it have worked as well
0: uh they could have adapted the major themes for certain, but it had to start in the past at some point because um, so what they're doing is uh, they're able to find artifacts from the future and they need it to ground the story in a way where they're going to find an artifact that we would recognize in 2016 or 2017 and uh but would seem so futuristic to someone in 1988 which Mm -hmm. is where it starts. So for example, when the, uh, girls do travel to 2016, um, they, they're confounded by this super flat, super huge television. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, there's Mm -hmm. so many buttons on this remote control. Like how, (laughs) how rich are you? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, that's just what TVs are like, you know, (laughs)
1: which is funny though, because back to the future Two gave us essentially that. And we're like, oh yeah. And that was supposed to be 2015. Right. Um, so it was just like, oh yeah, the big, you know, flat now that was a projector, I think, but it made it, they made it seem like it was like a flat screen TV that Marty McFly was talking into. So it's interesting that they pick and choose kind of like what people from the 80s are are shocked by versus what they're not. Like it's always an interesting thought exercise, you know. Which
0: is, yeah, I you know, we're, we're seeing it right now uh, this weekend play out with Blade Runner 2049 where mm-hmm. I believe the original Blade Runner takes place in 2019 and you see that challenge of, okay, well, if we, you know, if you write a story in 1980 mm-hmm. <laughs> and try to imagine a future that's, you know, really only 30 years away – how futuristic do you make it? Or um, you, you write a story in your present day, but you go back to the past and you kind of, you get to look at how futuristic the present is compared to, you know, 20 something years in the past, which is what paper girls is doing. Um, you know, rocket girl is much more in that vein of blade runner where the 2013 and rocket girl is way more futuristic than the actual 2013 was, <laughs> you know, but paper girls, um, they're really able to ground it because in 1988 when they find an artifact with the Apple logo on it that looks like an iPod, which we would recognize as like, oh, that looks like an iPod shuffle. Um, They can kind of go, well, it's like, you know, recognize the the iconography, but they don't know what this tiny little device could be. But then when they future jump to the 2016 and they meet a uh, future version of one of the girls, Uh, She knows immediately like this is a product from Apple, the computer company, Um, but it is more futuristic than she expects, you know, even though she like when she pulls out her iPhone and looks for directions, the girls are blown away. Like what in the hell is that? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. So
0: there I I think in this case they didn't um, like you pointed out with Stranger Things, which uh, you're dead right. You're right on the nose like. They had to set Paper Girls. It had to start in 1988, so we didn't have those conveniences of everyone carrying a mobile phone, especially a smartphone that could, you know, look up any information in the world on it. They don't have maps with them. They had to be on bikes. Um, there had to be a an element of danger and fear that they can't contact their parents immediately. Um, so they needed all those things to make that that setting work like that initial kickoff to the whole story and the whole story in volume one kicks off on at like 4 a.m. on November 1st, 1988. So as these girls are delivering papers, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, George H.W. Bush, even though nobody (laughs) called him H.W. at that time, there's George Bush, um, you know, Bush 88 like campaign signs in lawns and stuff because the election Mm -hmm. would have been a week later and um, they, and it is significantly, Uh, this would be Halloween night. So Halloween is like just taken place. It's 4 a.m. on November 1st. So all the older teenagers who are out causing mischief are out there sort of terrorizing the neighborhood. So the girls are already like on guard, like what's going on? You know, these older teenagers are going to be out here trying to um, hassle us and uh, just generally harass them because they're 12-year-old girls delivering papers. Um, So, you know, it starts off with that fear and then they run into... um, uh, And I think to some extent, you and I are really trying to talk in detail about all these books, but not in a spoilery way. So I'm really going to try to stay away from spoilers because my, you know, definitely my perspective is if what we're talking about interests you, please go read it because this is I'm not I don't want to spoil it at all. Like, I'm not assuming anyone's read it. Um, But these girls pretty quickly stumble into uh, some, you know, some science fiction sort of machine you know whether it's a spacecraft or it's a time machine or it's just some sort of portal or something it's a big weird piece of um you know science fiction looking equipment that they can't explain in the basement of a house and there are these sort of um weird people that they've spotted on their route as they're chasing down some of the teenage boys who've stolen walkie-talkie and these people have their like you know their faces are covered and stuff so they assume they're in halloween costume but uh they soon turn out you know, to discover they are, they do not look like the human beings of our time and planet. And pretty quickly, the girls find themselves in this really strange time traveling thing, which we talked about on our last episode with Rocket Girl. Um, Obviously, we've alluded to it in just this introduction about this. Um, In Paper Girls, the time travel uh, rules are, (laughs) if I can describe this correctly, that uh, t- you know, time is sort of a fourth dimension, like a line that they can they can uh, break through that dimension and then enter again, but they will always remain in the same place.
1: Mm, so,
0: in other words, they are always in Cleveland, in this spot, which you know is is basically Marty McFly at the you know Twin Pines Mall. Well, I'm like, glad
1: you mentioned this because one of my largest complaints about time travel in fiction has always been that it it, it kind of uh, too many people think that time travel is just like, oh, we're still here. When time and space, uh, it's basically time and space travel because you can't, you can't say, hey, in twenty-four hours. We're going to travel to, you know, uh, to 1955. in 1955, we're going to travel 24 hours into the future, let's just say. In 24 hours, the Earth is not going to be where it currently is. Actually. wind wind up in, like, open space and die. You
0: you nailed it. That is actually – that's the detail I left out. They explain that in Paper Girls. One of the, you know, futuristic time travelers explains that. That, you know, if you jump back a week, the Earth is not in the same place. Mm -hmm. So – um, it is time and space travel, and yeah, that was gr- what a great catch you just made <laughs> for it's not 22. having read this.
1: And well, I've I also, read it
0: and didn't really uh, explain that very well.
1: Well, there's a there's a net there's a documentary not documentary there's a short film, little <laughs> animated short film on Netflix called World of Tomorrow, and it's this um you may if you've seen it in your queue, it's kind of like stick drawings, but it's so the animation is really just primitive, but the story is so good because it's about this hmm. girl, this little five year old girl who. Um, her th- The third generation of her cloned reaches back like one hundred and fifty years through time to like communicate with her you know early version of herself. But when they're talking about time travel, she very specifically says, you know, time travel is very, very risky and dangerous because you could wind up, you know, in the, you know, floating in space like so many people do. You could wind up literally crushed under the Earth's surface because you didn't pinpoint it correctly, or you could just wind up hundred thousand years ago and die, you know, by a saber-toothed tiger or something. So, just this idea that time travel is always, with the exception of Doctor Who, which is why I like Doctor Who so much, because space is always an element of the travel that occurs. It's right. always bugged me that so many things, Back to the Future included, never bring that point up. Like, hey, we have to coordinate like exactly where the earth is gonna be at exactly that time. You know, and I, we could be even 10 feet off the street. We have to be exactly right here. Some right. glad Paper Girls actually, you know, leans into that a little bit, explains that, fleshes that out. That immediately gives me, as a reader, I'm like, okay, good. Oh, good. They're thinking through everything, you
0: know? Right. Yeah, and it's, um, I think that too gives it a better um well, uh, you know, I mentioned last week, it, it's I, I sometimes walk into time travel stories with a little apprehension of oh, what's their twist going to be, you know, because I'm not so much interested in, like, getting the science as believable as possible, even though that's very interesting. It, you you got to have something more, you know, mm-hmm. and paper girls. Um, I think it's especially at the time when I started reading it definitely could seem. Sort of derivative of other contemporary works, especially um, like Saga and uh, maybe even Sex Criminals, which I, of which I've only read the first volume, but um, just some of those image kind of tropes, um, mm-hmm. where uh, you know when they they encounter like basically in that first volume, so you know I'm not again not spoiling anything, but they um, they kind of quickly encounter like two groups of people from possibly from the future, you know, who are, uh, obviously in some sort of conflict. Um, and the one that is in uniform and looks sort of like soldiers or something, they have this way of speaking, which is very much, um, a lot of it comes like, there's a, uh, uh, what do I want to say? There's a, you know, um, a dialect like that in saga where certain people talk with this, you know, uh, specific kind of dialect. And that's sort of how these people talk. Like you can kind you can understand these words, the syllables that they're using sort of run together into different words and things like that. But you can, if you read it all as one big sound, you'll hear the English sounds in it. So mm. you as a reader can read it. And then there's another group that will just speak in symbols and nobody can under you know, you can't understand what that is until they're wearing like a translation device. Um, so it, uh, it, I don't want to dwell too long on, um, the overall story of paper girls because specifically, you know, this is a, I wanted to talk about the third volume, which, uh, just came out like a month ago or so. Um, and it is one of those where, um, you know, the first one hooked me and the second one, the second volume went to, um, at the end of the first volume, the, as you mentioned last week, there's always a WTF moment at the end of the first (laughs) volume. Uh, You know, there's always a a cliffhanger kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And second volume opens on where that cliffhanger left off, where the girls are in 2016 encountering the future version of one of themselves. Whoa. So they, you know, they drop through the folding, which is kind of the dimensional, like, um, rift, which lets them jump in time. Um, and, uh, they land in the middle of the street and this car screeches to a stop and it's like, get, you know, kids get off the road. And they say, no, no, my name is Aaron Ting. And uh, I, you know, I'm a paper girl and the woman gets out of the car and is like, is this some kind of joke? I'm Aaron Ting.
1: Whoa. Interesting. <laughs> and
0: I used to be a paper girl, you know, <laughs> and what the hell's going on? So there's a, you know, there's that. Um, so then the second volume is pretty much, it's all in, 2016. So it's all sort of the contemporary story. And then volume three is where I feel like, ah, we finally got into uh, something where it really stretched out and went, um, you know, it it went in a different direction that I didn't necessarily expect. And I was very much invested in this whole story um, because it was all... You know, it wasn't just the back and forth between contemporary future and past of one person, I uh-huh. guess, um, even though there's, yeah, there's there's so much to say about Paper Girls. But this one was great. They went way back in the past and um, they encounter uh, a woman who looks to be about her, uh, their own age. Yet she has a child. Um, and luckily, one of them has stolen a translation device from one of these future beings. So they're able to put the translator device on this woman. Um, and can understand what she's saying to them. And so they're in this, you know, primitive um, prehistoric time. And at the same time, the person who invented time travel <laughs> has also landed in this place. Interesting. <laughs> and so the cover, uh, which I'd seen, you know, when uh, like, I guess maybe a comic con, they released this, they did like sort of a, a pre-release at comic con this year. Uh, and I did not pick it up there. Um, and, and they got it at my local comic book shop, but the cover has these two women, the one future one and the one prehistoric one. But it's easy to look at the cover and think, oh, wow, are these like future versions of two of the paper girls, you know? Because you can kind of impose their characteristics on it. Um, so it was, it, you know, granted, I've spoiled that a little bit, but um, it no, was No, that just great. makes
1: me more interested because like as soon as you bring yeah. that into play, there's so... I mean, let me just ask you this. Do the future versions of themselves remember the events of their former selves? Like, do they remember meeting themselves when they were young?
0: Yeah. I mean, without getting too, well, I don't, I don't think it's spoilery. No.
1: Okay. And see, that's (laughs) interesting. That's in that that moment in volume two.
0: Yeah. In that moment in volume two, where the young Aaron Ting has to prove to the uh, current, you know, present day Aaron Ting uh, who she is. She said, you know, the older one is like, Oh, well what, you know, Where did, I can't remember. She's like, what's the, what was the nickname of your goldfish that you never told anybody? What was this? And then the young Aaron Ting goes, well, what about this? And she lifts her shirt up and there's a scar, which we have seen her get in volume one.
1: Uh
0: And present day Aaron Ting has that same scar and has no idea how she got it.
1: Mm. So there's, so
0: she tell, you know, they tell her and that there's this very weird, like how, how did these things happen to me? And I don't remember them.
1: But wait, I'm gonna cry bullshit just a little bit because at some point I could easily see that, hey, younger you may not know what older you is gonna look like. So running into your older self may be like, oh, that's that's me. You know what you look like when you were that age. Wouldn't at any like if the if the 12-year-old Todd came up to you and was like, hey, I'm Todd, wouldn't you be like, oh yeah, of course you are? Like, I know exactly what you look like. I think they actually
0: play that off in a really good way. Like you, you definitely got that feeling that she recognizes her and she's Mm. in the clothes that she would have worn in 1988. And then additionally later in that um, volume, uh, her younger present day sister meets the 1988 version Mm. and she recognizes her immediately. And she's like, "Oh my gosh, it's my big sister as a little person. Like this is amazing."
1: Well, what I love about this is it plays with the. Th- I mean, you kind of get a little flight of the Navigator with this, right? Which is another '80s staple, which they're coincidentally random. Just Well, and they're they're actually remaking it. They're going to reboot it, which I have mixed feelings on. But n- yeah. nevertheless, Flight of the Navigator, a staple. You, they could put that on Netflix right now, and I'm sure you. Know, you know, launch it with season two of stranger things it would probably get tons and tons and tons of views because it's it's kind of become that sort of for anybody who was a kid in the 80s flight of the navigators in clearly in like you know one of your favorite movie lists that to be said the whole crux of that movie is the main character the boy goes forward in time seven years so oh right right, right. yeah his brother his, his younger like jerk of a little brother is now mature and, you know, in high school and actually has to help his quote unquote bigger, you know, older brother get back home to his timeline. So it's, it mess. And then, you know, he sees his parents and they're all, they did a really great job of showing like, what would his parents look like? Not only older, but after years of stress from losing their son without any explanation, like there's so much about that. So I love that. It's, it seems like paper girls was set out. They're like, we're going to honor all the stuff from the eighties. We like, but that also includes a lot of the story threads that we always sort of dug, you know? And yeah, um i i really like that let me ask you this so, so volume one was uh set you know takes place mainly in the 80s correct yeah right volume two is 2016 volume three now do they go back and forth or are they still stuck in volume and 2016 yeah, through, it's just it's all ridiculous. no no no.
0: Uh, volume three is all the prehistoric story okay yeah um all, all the way to the end so basically every episode is going to end with them jumping through what they call the folding which is um yeah, like one of these tears in the fourth dimension where they can sort of leap into another time. And the device that they find in the first volume that has the Apple insignia on it is sort of this futuristic uh, iPhone that can, you know, pair with a user. Uh, It it, it knows them sort of biologically in some way. Mm. So it doesn't work for them until they meet the Erin Ting of 2016. And then as an adult, it recognizes her voice and some biometric thing. And it, and then she is able to see things that we don't see and the girls don't see where she's like, yeah, it's just showing me a map. And it mm-hmm. says, you know, here's the fourth folding and here's the fifth folding. And they sort of follow these clues to get to those foldings and then jump. And so, yeah, the end of, uh, more or less the end of every issue is them g- going through a folding in some way. And, uh, you know, the cliffhanger is them finding themselves in another time with some strange circumstance and trying to figure out what's going on.
1: So this definitely is is one of those, because a lot of graphic novels I really like, Postal is a great example, um, they feel like TV shows that have just been serialized in graphic novel form. So like this could, in your opinion, could this just as easily work as a, you know, seven part series on HBO or Netflix?
0: Oh, yeah. I think uh, it's sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, it's, I read it thinking, is that what they're going for? Like, are they just hoping this gets picked up? But I I really, you know, that's cynical. I really don't think that's the case. I think comic creators make comics because that's what comic creators do. And this is how they're going to tell that story. Um, But there is a, a, you know, so uh, another comic we brought up last week, which, you know, part of what we talked about last week was uh, how – Image does these great trade paperback. Number one of any series will be cheaper. And then they'll mm-hmm. do these online sales where they're, you know, just totally a steal for like five bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easy to, they're, they're really trying to hook people with that, you know? And one that I really like that you did not is black science. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you read volume one and then kind of bailed out, or maybe you didn't even get through volume one. Um,
1: I black did. science
0: I is I, like, I really, I, I like black science. Like it has the art, is really different. It's really sharp. You know, it's it's comic booky, but it's not at all like superhero or something. It's just, um, but uh, I don't care about the characters. And now they're six, maybe seven volumes into it, and I don't sense an arc to the mm-hmm. whole
1: thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, reading Paper Girls three, I realized like, oh, you know what's really cool is that uh, they the way that um, they handled. The character development through these and just sort of the character moments, you know, cause they're, it's all just like a, uh, a chase or, or, or escape basically, you know? So there's not, not a lot of time for character development, but the way they handle those character moments, you know um, where the girls talk about their parents or one time, you know, we do see a parent in one scene and then the Aaron meets her future self and her sister. And the way they handle those moments, it, you, I found myself really caring like, Oh, I, you know, I want to know more about these girls and what, what is going to happen to them? Whereas in black science, it's like a bunch about a bunch of awful people who are jumping through <laughs> different dimensions and ruining their current dimension with every jump. And it gets to where you're like, this is just a f- disaster. Like, just wrap this up, man. You know, yeah. redeem, redeem these people or end them, like end of the story or something. Um so that season, you know, that feeling of like every every trade is a different season like every volume is a different uh season of a tv series or or episode or something you know it can kind of cut both ways so i i do sort of hope that there is an overall arc to paper girls and that it will wrap up because i don't really want to you know i don't think this can sustain yeah f- for very long we can't have these 12 year old girls just jumping in time you know for tw- 12 volumes or something like well it's <laughs> it's interesting it you
1: in. It's interesting you compare it to black science because black science, the reason I didn't get into it is I just wasn't a fan of that art style. I mean, I'm I'm sure as good as it is, it just doesn't jive with me. And one of the chief reasons I can't quite get into Paper Girls is I can't – I just can't wrap my head around the art style, which is – fittingly very much like they are paper doll sort of the way they draw the girls is very paper doll esque, right? Like the way they're sort of juxtaposed against the backgrounds, there's like a lot of heavy, dark lines and um, it just sort of has that quality. Is it, I mean, do you get that sense? Yeah,
0: I think. Um, and I, you know, I'm sitting here flipping through all three volumes as you're saying that and finding them really consistent. So it's definitely something that, I picked up the first volume, not loving the art. Cause you and I talk about that all the time. So like when I picked it up and flipped through it, I, you know, wasn't totally sold on the art. Whereas like mm-hmm. with black science, um, I, you know, I didn't even have to find out what the story was. I was like, this art is incredible. I'm buying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this one has definitely grown on me. Uh, mm-hmm. there is that very like flat kind of two dimensional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, obviously they all look two dimensional, but there's not an attempt like, with rocket girl where it's uh you know it's more superhero-y and there's so much like uh attention to the to the action that's going on and sort of the muscle movement and all that of the characters that action girl sorry rocket girl ends up looking very three-dimensional because of the Mm -hmm. movement paper girls definitely has that very flat feeling of even you know even when there's movement it's it's sort of the you know comic book uh, or the comics in the newspaper style of like a flat panel with like just the gesture of running or something. Yeah. Like that, you know? yeah. Um, it does have a
1: very fun with Dick and Jane kind of look and feel, right? Like even the way they yeah. draw their faces is very reminiscent of like illustrations from the fifties or sixties, which again, I'm sure all of this is intentional. It's all very, a very deliberate choice. I just particularly my, my sensibilities. I just, at this juncture, yeah. 10 years from now, I might be like all about it, but at this juncture, I just can't stick with the story with that sort of which art. Is- Right now
0: which is a totally fair assessment I think that's a, a big thing that's it's great that you and I talk about that in multiple episodes that you know to us the art is more important than the story um, because I think that's a, just an important thing to realize as a comic reader you know um, and that's what helps you find the comics you're really gonna respond to is that is that art you know like don't I don't know I just feel like don't let anyone tell you, that you should suffer through art you don't like because the story's so good. Because to me, it, you know, I don't know, that's, <laughs> that's a thing that was told to me as a literature student with, um, you know, just g- like quote unquote great works of literature where I think, well, actually it's just, if it's not, you know, if I don't respond to the writing of it uh, that's that that's sort of the, i I can't be held accountable for that you know if if i don't like the style then so be it like there's another style i'm gonna like it's not like there's just one canon of of great literature and that's all there is it's you know there's not just one perfect style of comic book you respond to what you respond to so um i think you can
1: still respect the story or just the intent even if it's not like it's just like walking to a museum or a gallery right yeah there's Stuff in the gallery that you're like, hey, I, I'm glad this is here. It's just not my cup of tea right now. And I think one of the things, and you know, it sounds like a broken record, but one of the things that I love so much about the comics and graphic novel medium is that it is, it's much more art, like it's much more art focused than. I mean, yeah, the writing's important, but it's, it's. I would liken it much more to a gallery like a museum gallery than a bookstore because you're seeing all this stuff come together and you as a, as a reader can appreciate all of it. Like, I mean, there's so much that someone's like, Hey, like, I love this. I mean, that's great. I'm, I'm glad it exists. But my, as I grow and my sensibilities change and sort of expand, then at some point the stuff that might seem a little off putting or scary to me might be really interesting, you know, or vice versa, maybe the things I'm into right now may just feel old and limiting. Like in 10 years, I'll be really curious to see what my, my library looks like or what I come back to, you know, over the next 10, 20 years as, as time goes on.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 totally agree. Um, I, and I think that's, that's probably a good place for me to wrap up paper girls three. I, I think uh, my big takeaway was I realized I'm, I'm more invested in the characters than the, than, um, the particulars of the story, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I do hope that it does not become like endless seasons of them yeah, sort of jumping, uh. jumping through these different portals. And, um, you know, I, I do hope that there is a, that it's a finite story, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with a satisfying ending. Um, but yeah, I, this was kind of the volume that got me, I don't, it's, it's strange too, because, um, you know, without. There aren't two. I don't, not, not a lot of details I want to share about that, but it's just strange that the prehistoric story was the one where I was like, oh yeah, I really like what's going on. I think it's just because they fleshed out uh, two of the characters a little bit more that hadn't really been touched on before. Mm-hmm. And you just, I just felt like, oh yeah, good.
1: <laughs> when you'd already spent, you'd spent some times with them in a little bit more grounded space. So for them to go a little bit further, it feels more earned. I'm sure. You know, it you know feels what? like. We get to do this now, and it's not going to be weird or, or or jostling. It's like, oh no, this makes perfect sense now. I, I'm I'm familiar with everything, so it allows us. Like, they're not just going to go into space right out of the gate. Right. I mean, they're going to like we're going to just like Stranger Things. Like we didn't learn too much in that first season. So now that the second season's coming out, like when they start showing us all these crazy visuals of that creature in the sky and all this other stuff, you're like, oh yeah. my god, it matters more because we spent so much time grounded for so long. Um, in the context of the, that story. But like if they were to do a season three and we see some giant, like close encounter spaceship, you know, fly down, it won't seem weird to be like, Oh, we, we moved naturally into these escalating dangers, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you what's important about this too is that um, as much as I appreciate the form of like the trade paperback volume uh, there is definitely that this is the danger that we talk about on our game of Thrones podcast of those cliffhangers just not meaning anything if you mm-hmm. wait too long to wrap them up and, and the sort of tense moments, you know, or for different characters. And one of the, one of the reasons I probably enjoyed volume three so much is that uh, I'd read volume one. I, when volume two came out, I kind of waited to get it and then I bought it and then it sat on my shelf forever. And then I finally read it a- absent of volume one. Like I didn't go refresh my memory. You know, I just sort of read it standalone and so this week when I read volume three, I actually went back through volume one and kind of skimmed through, made sure I hit like the right, you know, the the major points and recalled the, like the names and stuff like that. Cause I knew I'd be talking about it. And so then volume two, I ended up rereading almost entirely right mm-hmm. before I picked up volume three. So when I went into volume three, all of these characters and all of their journey so far was fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it really like, it was finally where, uh, and I think the other big thing is in volume three is where the girls kind of learn the game and they start, um, figuring out how they can actually help the worlds that they're, you know, or the times that they're jumping into. Uh, and that was, I think that's just a big, a big turning point for it, but, but, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that you, that you kind of need to sit down and read the volumes back to back, uh, i don't know you know it's just tough to go six or eight months or something before you're going to get an update
1: that's when there's another i i bring up the uh the um series they're not like us because yeah. i can only read that as volumes like it's it, it the story is such that it has to be consumed in one one season because the individual issues aren't strong enough on their own like you need that That they're all all so much better when they're collected Then you're like, that was so fulfilling. But if I had to wait a week in between individual issues, like there just doesn't work. So then to go from, you know, volume one, which came out, I think I bought that last year or even maybe two years ago at this point. Um, No, two years ago. And then volume two came out last year. And then now volume three is coming out uh, in November, December. But like waiting a year in between is – yeah, it's a little. I'm gonna have to go back and reread those first two to get myself jazzed back up again. Even though I remember the story, I just I want to fall back into that world a little bit more and like really, you know, remind myself so that when quote unquote volume three or season three starts, um, even though the issues is already out there, I just I feel like I have to consume it that way. But it is, it is a little obnoxious to have to wait. You know, it's just like with anything you know, waiting for the next season of Game of Thrones or waiting for the next thing, especially when the story is, is not quite, you know, it leaves you on a cliffhanger that's just like, uh, it, just, it's, it gnaws at you for that entire time. So then it, you run the risk. This is, this is good to point out too, because you run the risk as a creator. If you, if you do that too many times or if you play too freewheeling with that, that time in between can make that person just go, you know what, I don't, I hate this thing. Like the amount of stress I've had to endure waiting for the next chapter. And I think Walking Dead fans can attest to this. <laughs> And it just George makes you George Martin makes, readers. Exactly, exactly. It just makes you it makes you. You know, what? I just I'm just I, I, I had to move on. Like I had to fill that gap with other stuff that's now more. I I, I prefer more to this other thing. So you got to like really yeah, be yeah. cognizant of how much time passes. That you know we've beat this to death on any Game of Thrones or GRRM discussions. So yeah, I don't want to well, go back there. But
0: but I appreciate the way you you frame that because it is something for creators to bear in mind. And it um, as much as comics gives you this great medium to tell like each you can think of each volume as more of like a this a season of a series, you know. Yeah. yeah. And so it's cool that paper girls and, and many others are arranged in like, you know, this the arc of volume one is going to take place in this time in this setting and the arc of volume two is this and the and it feels very seasonal and it's very cool. But what's in my head is like I hope you have an ending and I hope you can wrap this up is because of things like East of West, another thing we've brought up where I know I'm interested in that story. Like it has so, and the art has everything. It has so much going for it that appeals to me, Mm -hmm. but they're so deep into it now that I kind of feel like we'll just wrap it up and then I'll go back to it. But if they wrap it up and it's 12 volumes, 14 (laughs) volumes or something, then am I going to go, you know what? I just don't have time to read all that.
1: Mm -hmm. But if you gave
0: me sort of like, here's five volumes and it tells the whole story and they're basically each one of them is an act. And the end of, end of each one is an act break. I'm going to go, yeah, okay. I'm into that. You know,
1: thing is though, with East to West specifically is at some point, if you don't like where the story is, you can just bail and feel fulfilled, right? Like you don't have right. to, although the way they're, I mean, they're constructing it very, I, I don't know if Jonathan Hickman ever has an outline um, <laughs> per se, like a master, like a show Bible or a, a series Bible. Cause he's writing so many different things. Like, I just don't know how he has the time to get that advanced, but then you look at something like east of west or especially his other his other series he's doing which is the black monday murders which we'll probably review on a future episode of of this this show um but that like you're like there's he's gotta have this planned out it's so intricately right. woven and especially east of west like they're definitely heading towards an end game um you know and have been yeah. ratcheting that up little by little so but at the same time if you if at some point if east of west just isn't delivering and i say this because i i read I purchased and read the first three trade paperbacks over the course of a weekend. Um, And then I ended up trading those in for like the hardcover sort of, you know, omnibus one. Um, But like that, I remember thinking like finishing that first volume, like, wow, they they all end almost like, it's almost cinematic, right? Because when you put a movie in the theaters and Kingsman 2, which we reviewed on another episode, it's kind of the same way. Like you got to make it for both the people who have followed you and the story so far, but you also have to expect some people are going to pick this up and read it. And not have any idea about what has come before so It almost has to kind of feel like it's its own thing. So that if they decided to put it down, they're like, oh, that was fulfilling. And East to West kind of does that. It all definitely has an arc. But each volume sort of finishes in a way where you're like, if I don't read anymore, I'll be satisfied. And I could always pick it up later and and jump back in. So don't don't forget that when you're kind of sort of thinking about the length of a series. Like another great example is Invincible, which has been running forever. And it's about four issues away from finally finishing. Um, but I came into that because uh, I'd always been intrigued. I'm like, well, that's interesting. But what it took an image was smart to to kind of push this or or Robert Crickman was smart to, to do this. There was an issue in one of the free comic book day kind of image sales where the first two pages were literally an infographic of everything that had happened into the series up until that point. So you have a nice baseline uh, of, of stories so that when you jump in, which is now you're like, good Lord, like, 40 issues, 50 issues into this thing. By the time I jumped in, like you have a complete, you're, you're familiar. So if they reference something, you're like, Oh, that's that thing they mentioned on page two. At the same time, you're sort of like, you're peppered with, if I ever go back and try to catch up on 50 issues up to this point, I kind of know which things I want to focus on. Cause in that little infographic, I was like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll, you know, maybe right. one day I'll come back to this, but I can finish the, finish the run and never go back and still feel like I am a, you know a friend of that world. Like I know enough to, to know my way around that space.
0: Well, and that, I mean, and, you know, something we brought up in the last episode, uh, that speaks to the the perceived difference in one of the big two superhero publishers versus an indie-like image, whereas Invincible's running much more like like Batman, you know, where you could grab a volume of Batman and read it and be familiar with the characters and really like the story within that volume and then just put it down and never pick up another volume of Batman. You know, it's not... But I think with some of these titles like black science or east of west or paper girls we I, I don't know what it is that makes us assume that there is a grand arc to the story mm-hmm. but i definitely don't I, I and those are very particular because east of west for example is basically talking about the apocalypse i mean the four mm-hmm. four yeah. horsemen of the apocalypse are, are reborn as children in this time mm-hmm. um uh, paper girls were getting the girls stranded in a, you know, time that they don't understand, uh, black science, they're getting stranded in a dimension they don't understand. Um, those are problems that feel like they need to be solved within the narrative, you know, like mm-hmm. either this apocalypse has to come and be defeated or it, or it ends everything or, you know, the girls have to find their way back to their own time or they have to make peace in the future or, you know, or the dimension of uh, black science have to fix the things that they've they've destroyed or they need to be destroyed. Um, But it's there's, I guess the beginning we foresee the ending or possible endings within that beginning, Mm -hmm. whereas something like invincible, it can kind of go any way. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, that's, that's one of the appealing things about rocket girl is once the problem of a future teenager with future tech goes back to 86 in rocket girl. Mm -hmm. eh, I mean, they could just show like the adventures of rocket girl in 1986. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they really need to have, a story arc that explains all the you know what the cue engine is and blah 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 it's like hey just destroy it and then move on to your next story
1: she could so you're saying like rocket girl could go on for another 10 to 15 years very comfortably if they, they wanted could, they to. could
0: pivot that story for sure and say no we're just telling any number of arcs within this conceit well, and, you know and
1: paper girls could go on that long too because what you've set up is the ability to follow those girls you know into high school and beyond kind of like harry potter but i feel like at some point do you really want them running around like as, you know, 30 year old women trying to solve? So, like, is that interesting to you? Well, they're young, they, part of the appeal. Uh, that sounds dirty the, and gross. That, I did not mean it to sound that way. That right.
0: they're young is part of the um, the the tension of the plot, you know, that they don't know very much. Like, they're sort of like, we don't know what the adults know. Mm-hmm. But um, because the problem is real, they don't quite understand it by volume three that they are actually being pursued um, and so that's another, they are being pursued by this sort of future army that we've seen in other episodes where that, you know, the, uh, these future people, the, the ones that have the interesting dialect where they speak in a kind of weird version of English and are in soldier attire, like in armor. So they've, they've encountered those people, but they don't really understand that they specifically are being pursued and we, the reader do. So just setting it up like that makes it feel like, eh, you know, you gotta, you gotta wrap that up. <laughs> I mean, I just don't think that there's, we're we're not, you know, there's only so much of that breathless chase and escape kind of thing that you can do. You know, it's, it's the George mm-hmm. Martin problem of like, if you set up this conflict in the beginning, you got to resolve that conflict, you know, later you put the, <laughs> you put the gun on the shelf in act one, the gun has to go off in act three, yeah. um, the checkoff problem. So,
1: well, all that said, I, my pick this week is actually one that, that follows those rules very, very closely. Um, Excellent. It's another image release, uh, big surprise, and it's actually um, it's one that I kept an eye on and I'd seen, but I never really thought it would be for me until I picked up Volume One. And it's "I Hate Fairyland," written and drawn by Scotty Young um, or Scotty Young. I think it's Scotty Young. God help me. I that. love this. Yes. Um, and so I hate Fairyland. I've seen it, you know, advertised. You see it in the shop all the time. Their covers are just always vibrant, candy-colored, really, you know, really interesting. So I finally, when I was in North Carolina back, goodness, back earlier this spring, I picked up Volume One, and was so just delighted by how goddamn fun it is, and how like just completely um, messes with the all you know, the, like goodness, hundreds of years of fairy tale tropes at this point. It just flies right <laughs> in the face of all of that. So it, I always like to tell people like if you, it's the best cartoon Adult Swim has never run. Right. So, like if you love like Rick and Morty and, and all those, like all the different things that Adult Swim has put out over the last five to 10 years, this would be, feel very comfortably in that area if it, if it was animated. But it's not. And I actually like that it's not, even though like the the drawings could literally leap off the page and you know, as, as animations. I like that it's not because the mechanism of how the story is told needs the, the panel, needs the grid, needs the page turns. Kind of the same way I don't like this may surprise some, I really don't like the Rick and Morty comics as much as I love the cartoon. Like once you read it, you're like, Oh, this just doesn't, even though the drawings are there, they look like they're supposed to look, the dialogue sounds right. It just, it does not work as a comic in my mind. It's just, you lose a lot of what makes it work. And I think if you were to take, I hate fairyland and put it on the screen as an animated movie or an animated show, it just wouldn't, again, wouldn't feel the same, but again, very comfortable bedfellows. Um, I'm actually going to focus on the illustration before I, I talk about the story. The illustration is so just... I was going to ask, like,
0: I know a little bit about Scotty Young. Uh, uh, is he both the writer and illustrator of... Yes, I yes. I Hate Fairyland? Okay.
1: Yeah, the coloring is by uh, Jean-Francois Bellue, Um, and then lettering and design, you know, cover design is by Nate Picos of Blambot. So, uh, but yeah, Scotty Young, written and drawn. So, like, you get right out of the gate, you get that that cohesion that you find where the, you know, the, that's sort of that thing that happens when the author, you know, the author and the illustrator are one and the same, you get like the same vision executed on both sides. And then you can really do some really fun punchy things with transitions, with cliffhangers. Um, you know, the, you're really seeing an execution of a story soup to nuts in the exact way that creator wanted you to see it. Um, but in this case, like the, the coloring is just as important. The coloring is just, unbelievably gorgeous like it's just every page looks like a candy box cover of some kind um because as you know or don't know the whole idea is this little girl named gertrude um in the very very beginning goes uh like you know like any kid in a a narnia book or something finds her way she falls through the cracks and finds herself in fairyland like this sort of all-encompassing you know mashup of every fairy tale trope and, and and character you can think of it's kind of like south park's imagination land if you remember back during that uh that run of episodes when they go to imagination land very similar you don't actually see like name brand characters like so like the ninja turtles aren't walking around <laughs> right you know it's it's very much like you know a wizard and a you know a trees who can talk to you and a fairy godmother and you know like gotcha. a, a witch and just dif- different things like different things like that although i will say during free comic book ba- free comic book day this year image did a one shot called i hate image where gertrude actually has to go through the land of image comics to to continue on her quest <laughs> so she does she passes by like you know savage dragon and like the guy from invincible and, like so all of image properties that were you know that the creators like let basically allowed to, to be licensed for that one off or right there so it's kind of funny and the cover is very much you know Gertrude and like one of her like you know megalomaniac poses with like an axe or something, and all the image characters are like you know piled up dead underneath her. So it's like it's really it's really interesting. But she falls through the crack. She goes into this world, and you know she's met by like the you know very much Dorothy Wizard of Oz style. She's met by like this fairy godmother woman called Queen, uh, Queen Claudia, and basically says she gets to go off on an adventure to um, you know to go find. Uh, find her way out of fairyland and, you know, solve the, solve the puzzle and all those kinds of things. And she's assigned this sort of Jiminy cricket, like mosquito fly character. I can't quite, he's some kind of insect. I can't quite <laughs> tell what he is. I never, I never know. Um, but she's assigned, you know, she's like, and Larry will help you. And Larry's like all like, hi, Gertrude, I'm your, I'll be your friend and we'll help you on this adventure. And then that's like the first three or four pages. Like they just set it up really quickly. Then you come so to find is, it, out is
0: it set up like she is definitely trying to escape fairy? Fairyland, no, she's, she's found herself in the spot once out.
1: She's there, but like she has to go on this quest. You know, Queen Claudia tells her, you know, she's like, um, you know, she's, uh, you know, the queen went on to explain that there was a door back to her world. All Gertrude needed to do was find a key to unlock it. So her quest is to go find this key. Um, fast forward, and this is again, that was just like the first four pages. Fast forward 27 years later, she's still there. And oh, she, okay. she physically doesn't age, but her mind does. So she's like a, at that, I think when she went there, she was like 10. Now she's like, you know, a 37 year old woman who's, uh, you know, still in a little girl's body, who's still stuck in this goddamn place and has just completely given all shits. She's just, she does not care. She like completely fla- like flouts any tradition, anything. She's given up. I mean, she's still looking for the key, but she's kind of given up hope she's ever going to find it. So she's like a complete drunk. She's just, I mean, like she swears all the time. She ends up murdering characters on occasion. Like one of my favorite sort of devices that this does is at the beginning of each chapter, or in this case, you know, the issues they use to to create volume one, there's a a narrator character who's like setting the stage for you. Like, and then Gertrude, you know, went on and dot, dot, dot. So the first one, that you find that the one who was sort of narrating the beginning was this moon. So the, you know, the camera pans out and you see this moon and he's like narrating the story and Gertrude's flying by in like her little, like magical boat that can fly. And the moon's still talking. She flips off the moon and the moon's like, I have to narrate. So she takes a bazooka and just destroys and kills the moon, kills all the stars just to shut them up, right? So then every chapter, another narrator takes the place of the previous one and, like, starts off again, and she ends up murdering them somehow, some grisly way. So it goes through all these things. So the entire time, she's just causing absolute crap. She's still vaguely interested in finding this key because she wants to get the hell out of there, but she's kind of given up hope at this point. Meanwhile, Larry, her little insect sidekick, is just as depressed and as angsty as you can possibly imagine, he's a chain smoker now. He's just constantly just like, he's just, he's given up too. So like Gertrude's about to make like, instead of like, you know, her making a bad decision, he's like, oh no, no, Gertrude, you, ha- you can't do that. He's just like, you know, you're going to get blown up if you do this, right? She's like, I don't care. He's like, okay. You know, just, he's just, he's completely resigned himself to the fact that he's going to be miserable right, you know, right along with her. Um, <laughs> so, I, so the story is really, again, it takes that fairy tale kind of trope and there's a bunch of different things. Like she, you know, she goes at one point. She makes a deal with like the witch in the forest so she can, like, you know, uh, get closer to the key. Uh, that doesn't go well. So she murders like all of the witches, like you know, goblins and everything, and takes the key by force. Um, you know, so kind of eventually, and I need to be careful because I don't want to get too spoilery. Eventually, Queen Claudia gets so annoyed by all this because she's like this. You know, for 27 years she's had to deal with Gertrude basically tearing her kingdom apart. She recruits another little girl who falls into fairyland, who's all wide-eyed and innocent. And she's like, she's like, little girl, you can get back to your home too, but you must find the key. And then she tells Gertrude that there's this other little girl who's going to find the key first and try to basically stop Gertrude. Like she's basically painted Gertrude as like the villain now that this little girl has to stop. So then Gertrude gets all angry and has to (laughs) – she – at some point, again, this is kind of on the line of spoilery, but it, it, you will still appreciate it. At some point, she goes to visit like the Lord of Darkness and makes a deal with him <laughs> to, to try to get back home again, too. So like, all these things happen. So and like the, the Satan – <laughs> basically basically yeah she, she and she just goes and casually makes a deal with him so she again gertrude doesn't care she can't really die so she just constantly is like you know just c- causing havoc at the very end though and this is volume one and i think volume three comes out earlier next year i believe um volume one ends very definitively there's you know something happens and gertrude's you know her first arc is completed gotcha. um And so you, so you could stop reading right there and be like, well, that was fun, but there's definitely more to come. And I can tell you like volume two is just as every bit as batshit crazy as volume one, if not more so. Um, so it goes through all these different, again, it it weaves together so much. And I think kind of going back to that question of, should you read single issues or should you read a trade paperback? Right. This, because of the nature of the story, it has to function like a, a book has to function like a, you know, Grimm's fairy tale. So chapters, even though they came out as issues, are important. Like you need to be able to immediately go to that next chapter until this part of the story is complete. So I would highly recommend if you're thinking about it, don't, don't test yourself with, with single issues. Commit to the the full trade paperback, which again is, is price cheaper. This one was 10 bucks um, online. I'm sure it's cheaper. Although I would say don't get digital. You need this this needs to breathe as like a physical object. Um, just you need to kind of be overwhelmed by the art and i think just because it is you know it, it leans into storybook tropes having it as a physical book in your hands kind of helps with that experience you know yeah. I'm, uh, I'm i'm hoping when they get through three volumes like they do like a you know like a a, a storybook binded hardcover version that's like you know just it looks like it would be like one of those like classic you know grimm's fairy tale books but it's this you know it's the whole it's the whole uh, story start to finish
0: I can actually uh, tell you that's coming out on December 6th. <laughs> <but they're laughs> because as you were talking, I I looked it up on Image and they are they are advertising the I Hate Fairyland book 1 hardcover on oh, December 6th. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. Is that um, now which volumes are in that? I
0: I bet it's only the uh the first two maybe. Um I, let me click on it. Let me see if that that's because the because it looks like the TPB volume 2 only comes out in December
1: no so, trade, uh, trade paperback volume two is out three comes out Oh, three comes out in december yep wait wait but they are advertising oh that was december last year too Yep. Out. yep. sorry that's so, what yeah, three, me three off comes too. out in uh, october oh no three comes out so perfect timing three comes out in two weeks um and on book one will be
0: the the single issues one through ten with some extras that hardcover
1: yeah, I'm definitely going to trade trade up for that. Uh because this is it's it's again one of those things when we talk about art like just owning this yeah. just I mean just flipping through it and seeing the art is amazing. And it's just like he yeah. he got so I mean the characters that again I go back to the whole adult swim thing because he's able to even without speech bubbles you know exactly what that character is thinking at any given time. Right, Like it's very the gestation just gest, uh, articulations and like the the uh you know the facial expressions and everything are so Again, they're just very like you can sense sarcasm whenever it's it's required. Right. You can sense I, um you know defeat or disgust or annoyance. Like it's just he plays into that really nicely.
0: Yeah, and i am just from looking at what I you know what I've seen uh looking up this book, um, it's it, I love the adult swim comparison because it is very cartoony mm-hmm. art. Like it's not um we're not talking about like uh comic book style or any sort of realism style where it's, you know,
1: Oh God, no, no, yeah, no, it's
0: Yeah. It's very, and it's very much like a, a parody of children's art, you know, the way yes. that Gert yes. is drawn. And and I love what you said about, you're exactly right. You can tell exactly what is going on in that character's mind just from the expression on their face, because it is, you know, heavily relies on those, uh those, you know, cartoon standards of like this you know a frown means this and this kind of smile with this kind of eyebrows means mischief and you know (laughs) like the tongue hanging out with the x's on the eyes and uh yeah it's like really heavily draws on that iconography um and it just looks fun and silly and awesome so. And they have a lot, there's
1: a there's definitely a sense of scale the whole time that I appreciate too. Like you can feel like the the largeness of this world as she moves, you know, and there's certain characters, nice. that, you know, five stories tall. And so when she's talking to them, like they do like a close-up on her and then a a wide shot to show like you know her her scale compared to that character. So you always get a sense of, oh, this is a this is a a big world. This isn't just some little you know, little thing, it's, it, there's a scope, a giant scope, you know, that, that, uh, you know, goes on and on and on, which is, you know, it helps because as she's trying to find this key, if the world felt small, you'd feel like, well, is she just dumb? But like, you realize, oh God, this thing just, it's almost infinite. It just keeps going. So for her to find this key, yeah, it's probably, probably a little hard, you know? Mm.
0: Now it was, would you say that, um, story and art are, are, um, just as equally important in this or is, you know, do you get the feeling that uh, the story lacks in ways that the art makes up for or something like that?
1: I think the story's fine, but I do know there are specific, you can tell there are specific sequences that he has only because they were fun to draw and fun to see. So I think that the art, I think is the anchor, the story itself, just the, you know, the plot and the basic overall arc itself is, is very interesting. Obviously you can't have any of this without that. You know, it yeah. has to be in Fairyland. It has to be this girl. Twenty-seven years has to have passed. But I yeah. think just the the art, I think, dictates a lot of where the story goes because it's just a matter of like you know how. And and honestly, I've in talking to different comics artists and and in working with some, like I've seen a lot of it is like you know what are they interested in drawing at any given yeah. time. Yeah. You know, and even Jonathan Hickman has said that about Nick Dragada. He's like, you know, Nick and I, because Nick illustrates East of West. You no, know, Jonathan Hickman will say, you know, it's very much a partnership. You know, I'll ask. I'll ask Nick what he wants to draw. I'll tell him what I've kind of thought about story-wise, and we'll come up with a compromise. And to the point where there was an entire East to West issue that was completely silent. It was just purely a, a uh, an assassination attempt, and you just see that whole thing without any dialogue whatsoever. So it was like hmm. clearly that was an issue that Nick Trigada was like, "I just want to draw that," and Hickman's <laughs> like, "Okay, you know whatever you want to do." Because at some point you got to remember, you know, especially with a lot of these illustrators it's a lot of work goes into every panel. I think we sort of sometimes forget that when we're looking, especially at a trade paperback yeah. or something like as you're, as you're going through, like you have to re- you stop and remind yourself, Hey, every panel was drawn and colored, you know? So at some point an artist is going to get kind of sick and tired of drawing something that they're not super interested in, or is not inspiring to them. So right. I think in this case, you definitely get, you definitely get that.
0: Well, and I, I think my question was kind of leading because in that case where the writer is the artist, there's much more of a, you know, a symbiosis there between story and art where oh God, yeah. he can tell so much of the story through the art. Like he he already knows how to do that. So um, yeah, it is kind of a leading question to ask if one, uh, you know, overshadows the other. Um, was this, now you may have mentioned this um, as you talked about when you found it, but had you heard of this before? What led you to pick this up? Was it just pure reaction to the the art?
1: I mean, every time you go to Image Comics and you see what their releases are for for this week's Wednesday you know release schedule or next week's, it's always been a cover that has come up. So gotcha. I've been familiar of it just that way. And even when you walk into a store, you you know you always you, you can't help but notice it. It's so distinctive looking, and the colors are so very specifically you know, you know vibrant and everything that you can't help but see it. So it's always been there in the corner of my eye. And I think when I just walked into this particular storage, it caught me in a way – I think I saw volume one where I was like, you know what? This kind of – it just looked like an adult – I mean I thought that at the time. This looks like an adult swim series for some reason. Interesting. And I think at some point – maybe I'm making this up, but I could have swore at some point somebody told me. Like somebody who kind of knows me fairly well said – Oh, if you like Rick and Morty, you'll love I Hate Fairyland.
0: Oh, okay. I, and it just so feels that's like a that good was endure, so Even good. if you went in imagining that, that was <laughs>
1: – I, I could have swore somebody said that. Or I read that like on a Reddit forum somewhere where somebody mentioned yeah. it. it just, that sort of stuck with me. So I was like, oh, but I'm so glad it did. Because it's not something I would have intuitively picked up otherwise. I didn't realize how very adult – I mean it's an adult story. It's not right. a kid's story. It's just, You will never find this in the kid's section of a comic book store. if you do that – person needs to (laughs) to put up because it's not meant for kids at all. I should have, I should have started with that because this is not a kid's story.
0: Um, I think it's pretty evident from the cover, the bloody battle (laughs) ax with the little girl who's missing a tooth and hiding a bomb behind her back. um, Yeah. Yeah. And all the beaten up fairy tale characters around her, that cover. And you know, what's funny is that, um, uh, because it's funny how much yours and my comic tastes overlap. And especially like when we ha- we're we're both into image so much, but we get different titles. I've missed this every time.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: me just dialing it up right now, just to see what you were talking about is, I mean, that's one of the great reasons that we do the show, the way we do it, where we don't tell each other what we're <laughs> talking about beforehand yeah. is yeah. because yeah. I'm like, Holy crap, I'm going to go get this. This is awesome. It's I so worth it. It's so worth it. And then if you
1: like stuff. it, if you like it get in volume two, but like, if you, you know, if you want just the one-off experience, volume one is, is soup to nuts, exactly what you need, but it's so fun. Now,
0: have you play. gotten volume 2?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I've, I've gotten that okay. and, it, and I'm sort of, I'm waiting, again, it's kind of like they're not like us. I'm waiting for volume three. I'm not going to read single issues. I, yeah. I I think the single issues are stronger than they're not like us, but it's still, again, and you need to experience it like a fairy tale book where there's, you know, you read it in one sitting and then you're done until the next one comes out. So it's it's got to have that kind of, feel to it and like, again the, the physicality of it i think makes a huge difference um but it's so much fun like especially like i fell after last week at reviewing pyongyang which was an amazing book It was a little little heavy you know a little uh you know a little too real so i kind of wanted something this week that was you know much more just fun funny just like kind of shows you how extreme this medium can be when you when you really want it to to have some fun and go crazy it, again i sound like a beaten record, but as a broken record, but as, as, as batshit crazy as Kingsman one was this, you'll have the same feeling here where you you'll turn a page and just go, Oh my God. Like just, yeah. they, <laughs> they don't, they don't, uh, he doesn't pull any punches. Like it's, it's very much you, anything could happen.
0: Well, do you think, um, uh, I, I don't know. I already have my own form, like, you know, kind of half-assed opinion on this. Like, it just looks like a book. When we come out of a discussion of something like paper girls and that, that whole heavy discussion of like, how do you get into the whole story? You know, how do you get into like seven volumes that are already out? And is it does it actually have an arc and an ending and all that kind of stuff. This is really the opposite of that where, yeah, it's almost, uh, I would relate it maybe to chew, which is one that I liked, even though it, it ran for a really long time where you can grab volume one and then when volume two comes out, you, you might pick it up. You might not. It's not like you're going to feel like, oh, well, there was some personal conflict set in motion in the first one and I have to get number two. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just looks like a, a fun book to dip in and out of
1: yeah oh totally totally it's a good you know again after after important reading right um it's it's very much just a fun palate cleanser that yeah and it's, palate it's, cleanser. <laughs> and it's got and that sounds like it's diminishing it it's not like it's beautiful to look like you could just flip through it and not even read it and just you know highlight certain pages and just like stare in awe at just how fun and imaginative it is but it is i will say has i reread it um prior to this episode just you know anticipation of this and it is uh, very much just as fun the second time through as the first time through. So it's got a lot of repeat, I think, kind of reading, which is great. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. Some of the books I have, while I love them, I'm like, I think I've gotten everything I, I need out of this. I don't know if I can read it again just because that first time through was, you, you know, the surprise and shock of it was the value of the story. Um, you know, whereas this is like you could just, well, like a good fairy tale. You could go again and again through it and still you know, find <laughs> fine stuff. So he really did a great job. I can't wait to see what else he does when this is over.
0: That's very cool. And you know, just clicking on his bio on Image, I noticed that he was actually part of the uh, adaptation of the Frank Baum Oz novels uh, for oh. for Marvel. So he oh probably spent so much time dealing with like Wizard of Oz and that world that he really did hate Fairyland.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I should I need to read I need to read into uh, to more. But if you go to his website scottyyoung.com, you'll see um a bunch of his stuff and like there's a, the uh, sort of the header image is uh, him drawing like Galactus and Superman and stuff. So his, his drawing style is very, very specific. I don't think he's one of those guys, you know, some of those illustrators, you know, from book to book, you're like, Oh, they, they have a different gear. They can, you know, they can draw an entire book very differently with than what they did before. I think this guy is very much like this style is definitively him. It's kind of like a, almost like a sort of half, half cocked Dr. Seuss but with its own sort of like it's not it's not disney by, by any stretch of the imagination but there's definitely sort of a a, a kind of a classic sort of doctor Susie kind of feel to it so
0: yeah it, I, that's a great comparison um, and I did just hop over to his website to see that. And there's a very Dr. Seuss uh, machine that these characters are walking into, which is really, really cool and fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. And kind of maybe like a Calvin and hobbes vibe too. You know, some of his stuff, yeah. like if you kind of look back at Calvin and Hobbes books, there's a, you know, there's a, uh, there's a similarity there too. So it's, Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is definitely the dark twist on that for sure. <laughs> yes. Oh,
1: yes. Clearly. But God, so pretty. Just, I, I'm going to talk about yeah. that hardcover when it comes out. That's, I can't wait for that. Uh, Yeah, that's that's, that's all. That's all for me this week.
0: Great. Well, where can people find this podcast?
1: Well, we can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Casts. Um, look for the Todd and Taylor Show. Search for it. Tell your friends. You can also find us online. We are uh, Find Us There on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, findusthere.org is the website where you can find this and all our other podcasts. We do one called Wednesday in Westeros, where we talk about Game of Thrones. We do one called Fan Theories where emily and her now fiance um chat uh about fan theories across different movies books different things like that and we have just a bunch of other shows check us out find us there.org
0: sounds great uh taylor i will catch you next week for another coffee and comics